Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please, pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I always enjoy finding a local heart-centered leader I don't even know how I found Warren, who I'm going to introduce you to shortly, but he's just two hours down the road in Toronto, Canada. I love the work that he's doing. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He has been coaching entrepreneurs to success and freedom since 2002. So 20 years. Amazing. This is my favorite part of his bio. He's a recovering lawyer. Can't wait to talk about that. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's a former college professor, as well as an actor and theater director. So think about how Warren self-audits and describes himself. This is an array of experience that has really given him a pretty wide perspective on leadership, success, effectiveness, and fulfillment. I love to call that opening up the emotional cognitive bandwidth. And wow, what an array of experiences. So Warren, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. And your last name is Coglin, and we joked about it because I always get, you know, practice runs on how to pronunciate people's last names. But I have a dear friend with the same last name, so we were we were safe in that regard. Yeah, I get I get lots of interpretations of that. Cough, Coog, Cog. I am so intrigued with your life story that I've decided to have my first leadership question kind of encompass it all. So given your array of experiences in your life, your life story, or also known as your leadership trajectory, share with me the one transferable skill that you have seen that you've carried throughout each of the different roles that you've had in your career. That's a really interesting question. And there's probably a bunch of them. So one transferable skill, there's about three different ways I could phrase this. It would be the ability to authentically connect with people where they are. And whether I'm dealing with a student when I was teaching at college, I'll give you a great example. When I was directing theater, there was this play that I was directing. It actually won a bunch of awards. The cast were so diverse And there was one character, one actor who, if you pressured him, he would crack. So everything had to be stroking him gently. Somebody was very psychologically oriented. So I sort of framed things that way for her, but then it became intellectual. So I had to get into her body. There was somebody else who was like, really push them is where their performance came from. And so I had to like really adjust my style based on each individual that I was dealing with. And I found that in when I'm coaching, I coach lawyers and then I'll coach plumbers. When I was teaching at the college, there'd be people who came from academic backgrounds and people who came from trades backgrounds. And so I really felt I had to have this ability to kind of morph a little bit, you know, and understand where other people are coming from and be able to meet them where they are and communicate in the way that they want to be communicated to. And I think that's just a skill that I've had. I remember going to a party once with a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a long time. 
And I met an author, an environmental scientist, somebody who's in the trades. And my friend, we left the party and she actually, she frowned at me. She goes, I hate you. And I went, why? She goes, you spoke to everybody there as if you knew, you know, what their thing was. And they engaged totally with you about stuff you have no experience in. And I said, yeah, well, I didn't talk about it. I just asked them, like, I wanted to understand their thing and just knew enough to be able to, to draw that information out of them. And I just found that that's helped me in pretty much every trajectory I've been on. I'll tell you what I love about that is if, if we look at you when you had your lawyer hat on, you mastered and honed the art of conflict resolution. Mm. And my definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. It doesn't matter what their title is, what their job is, what their roles or responsibilities or even their sector. And I'm like you. I, I have a lot of friends from the business sector, the academic sector, and then I married a trade. Yeah. So I have a whole slew of friends in the trades. But I just show up as Deb Crow, just like you show up as Warren Coughlin, because every conversation has... My grandma used to say it, there's always something tucked in the corner of each day if you're willing to find it. And to me, take that principle or that premise and add it to any conversation. And that could be your win for the day. So I love that story. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show, because you are easy to talk to. And that array of experience shines when you talk and and, and in your leadership and all that you're doing. So to go from a lawyer that you're coaching to a plumber, that doesn't surprise me at all. So well done. And what's interesting too, I think what I realized, and I didn't, I didn't get that that was unique or special for a long time. Like I just, that's just sort of how I moved in the world. And then I was actually doing presentation training because with my acting background, that's another thing I do. I do pitch training and presentation training. And I was dealing with a really like senior guy at, I, I can't disclose what, it was, but a really, really large organization that would move the market with one move, you know, and he was so used to people, you know, kiss, kissing his butt. And I was doing this presentation training and he wound up engaging me for more executive coaching just because I just called him on stuff naturally. And he said he was very few people in his life would just be that direct and honest with him. And he valued it so much. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting lesson. Like somebody at that level, he's actually craving someone who will just give him the real goods. And I think that's something a lot of people in leadership and aspiring leadership need to understand about good leaders. Well, and, and to your point, heart-centered leadership isn't about reciprocity. And for all of those who are coaching or maybe have a coaching element in their leadership role, when we bring our intrinsic thinking and we put people first, it allows us to be that heart-centered leader or guide. And that's what you're doing. And you're meeting people where they're at with being honest and having humility and being direct and allowing vulnerability. And to me, I think, Warren, that's such a beautiful foundation of trust and rapport. And that's where everything just shines and blossoms from there. Mm -hmm. Okay, my second question has permanent residency on the show. We've asked over 160 leaders this question. It brings a lot of laughter, a lot of fun, and a lot of joking. Share with us what imperfections that Warren brings to his heart-centered leadership. <laughs> oh man, imperfection. 
man, we could go on for a couple hours about that. <laughs> so can I, can I ask just for clarification on the question? Cause I could interpret that as like, is that weaknesses or faults or like things that are lacking or is there more just goofy, you know, it's whatever your interpretation or self audit. When I say imperfection, what's sitting on the top of your mind? What's the first thing you think of as it relates to you and your leadership? Probably having an instinct to solve the problem too fast. That's, you know, I've, I've curtailed that. Like I've held it back, but I, I have an act. I can feel it in my body. You know, when something's there, I have an impulse to try to get in there and figure it out as opposed to just allowing that other person to figure it out. Um, and that, again, that shows up in every discipline as well. Like as a, as a theater director, I can't get up and show the person how to do the scene, even though I have it in my head, I have to draw it out of them. But the impulse is I can see like when I was directing theater, I could actually see how it needs to look on stage. Like I can't draw a straight line with a ruler, but I can paint with bodies on a stage. And so I could see, three lines ahead where things needed to go, but I can't do that, you know, cause that, that doesn't give the proper respect to the actor and their craft. Um, and in, in entrepreneurship too, there's a thing, I'm sure you see it all the time too. Like one of the defining elements of expertise is pattern recognition. Um, and so you can see the pattern before someone else can, but you can't necessarily just go and do that. So I'd say that's, that's an imperfection. I need to, I need to really hold myself back on those things. Another one is probably, I don't know if it's imperfection. I actually like it, but I'm inclined to try to keep things light and authentic. Like I like, and maybe this, this is such an interesting question. I'm, <laughs> I'm pausing as we go through it. I like to be liked and that can be both a good thing and it can be problematic. Now, I, again, I've learned to curtail that. Like I, I, I joke around that I know I've got a great client relationship when they're willing to tell me to F off, you know, that they're, we can actually have really authentic conversations, but I do like my clients to know, like I consider all my clients, my friends. Um, and some of them, even after our client, one of them, you know, he's not a client anymore, but he's one of my best friends. And that's just something that has always run through my practice. And so that is good in building the relationship. It could, if I'm not cautious about it, interfere with my ability to just be direct with people, right? And help them. I'm going to give you a challenge because what you described to me is that sometimes you're a vivid visionary and that kind of is an accelerant for your impatience. Have you seen the new movie, The Story of Lucille Ball, and it's played by Nicole Kidman? I haven't seen it yet, no. Okay, go and rent it, because what you've described is Lucy used to be in the middle of uh, a scene, and her mind would go off into what you just described, you know, three scenes ahead, and she'd go, hold on, wait a minute, and it would frustrate everybody. And then you'll see as the movie goes on, I don't want to ruin it for you, they finally just stop being impatient and frustrated because the director realized even though she was a pain in his butt, she was saving him a lot of work. And, and the writers finally were like, right. Oh, Lucy. So what you described is in that new movie and you'll love it. And, and the outcome will surprise you. That's so funny. Cause that's actually why I moved into directing. When I was an actor, I, I was always thinking 
about how the scenes play out and the movements. And I had to hold back a lot with the directors. <laughs> so I thought I, I got to be a director. <laughs> well, there's, there's a weekend uh, hobby you can do is, is rent that movie. And, and you're going to have to email me now and tell me how much you liked it. I will. So good. Okay. Tools to help our richest commodity, which is time. I would love for you to explain how you have developed and implemented different tools to help your clients. And I'm wondering if you could, if you could talk about two things. The first thing is I love the acronym of the depth gauge and depth stands for discipline, enthusiasm, presence, time, and health. And then part two, could you tell us how you have transferred these tools into your impact challenge? Oh, the, so the impact challenge is different from that. It's, it's, it's still a modality of time though. Yes. Yes. So the depth gauge is something I just developed to say, if you were just to focus, cause you can, you can develop lots and lots of disciplines and characteristics. And I thought, okay, what are the ones that I've observed that really help people produce the best outcomes? Right. And so discipline, discipline to me is just the ability to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, regardless of whether you feel like it. And if you can do that, then you know, you're, you're always going to be sort of putting the proper thing first, right? And it's a skill. So on, I have a time management tool that's just sort of a weekly daily planner. And in there, I ask you to gauge yourself every day on a scale of one to 10, how you've done on discipline, how you've done on, and the next one is enthusiasm. So I believe that when you, when you show up enthusiastically, either on your own in your own work or your interactions with other people, you just have a mindset that's more productive, more creative, and you bring other people with you. As an enthusiastic leader is someone who taps to people, not just at an intellectual level, but in an emotional one. And they, they kind of get swept up in the enthusiasm. Uh, presence is... That goes back to the, you asked me an imperfection, that one, that's the one I work on the most is being present because that visionary thing, I'm always thinking down the line. So I need to be in the moment with the people I'm with. And when you can do that, you honor them, right? Like people can tell if you're not with them, but when you are, when you are giving someone your total presence and attention, you are giving them a huge amount of respect and you just then deploy more of your own cognitive abilities to the challenge in front of you. Um, and then time is just, it's, are you doing things efficiently? The other things are about effectiveness. This is about efficiently. Are you actually doing things in the right order at the right time? You're not getting distracted by lots of things, not chasing shiny objects, not doing, get, allowing yourself to get interrupted a lot, like staying focused on a task for a while. And then the final one is health because, and that's both mental health and, and physical health. Because you are obviously going to be more productive when you are feeling strong, energized, healthy. So that's all the things like hydration and sleep and exercise and meditation and good mental health practices, which in today with COVID, you know, the mental health side is super important. But also a lot of people have really let physical health go because they feel they can't, you know, the only solution was to go to the gym. But there's lots of other ways of keeping yourself physically healthy. But it's really easy. And I've been guilty of this too. You sit at your desk all day in the house. You just have the snacks beside you and you need to have that, again, the discipline of engaging in the health. So I ask people to sort of engage with those, those items and just rate yourself every day. And then you can just see how you're doing. You can see your improvement or where you're slacking, what area you need to focus on. Like for me, it's presence. I've done a really good job on all the other ones. That one is the one I need to work on. And then in terms of tools, 
Uh, so I have that time management tool, which is a very simple, free. This is just how to manage your time. I've looked at a lot of the like the big journals and things that people use. And my criticism of them is they're often they're they're overloaded. Like they've tried to create so much value that there's almost too much in it. And so I tried to like really distill it down to just here's a couple of things to think about in the morning. Here's the way of just allocating your time during the day. And here's two or three questions to ask at the end of the day. They're just really bare bones it. The larger tool and the one I'm most proud of, I guess, I've got two others that really help a lot. One, I call it the business that matters playbook. And what I observed is I work with entrepreneurs primarily. A lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, I've been doing this since 2002 and I've met probably five who have done strategic planning very well. And so when I was working with people, I, they needed a lot of my time and attention to draw out the analysis of the business. And there's a lot of tools out there that purport to get you to a one-page plan that's really you know, easy to use, which is true, but they're really weak on the analytical piece up front. And so I created this thing called the Business Matters Playbook, and it's, an, it's a web app that you just, it asks you 350 questions about your business. And based on your answers, it automatically populates a SWOT analysis. So you don't have to, if I ask somebody to do a SWOT analysis on their own, SWOT means strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. They come back with like 15 things. But when I get done with them, there's like 150. So I'm like, this is inefficient. This isn't a good use of time to keep going back and forth. So this Q&A tool just asks you yes and no questions. And then sometimes some qualification questions to elaborate. And then it populates all those answers onto a SWOT analysis. And then there's a little trick where you click which ones are relevant to your goals, drives to a mini SWOT. From there, we pull out a theme, three priorities into a 90-day plan. So it just drives you through to a 90-day action plan in a really structured, really time-effective and really focused way that helps people distinguish between the symptoms and the problems. Because a lot of people, they focus on the symptoms, not the problems. But this, because the questions are pretty detailed, you wind up getting to, oh, that's what's really going on. You know, like someone will say, oh, we've got a sales problem. And so the salespeople aren't performing. And then, well, how do you do recruitment? How do you do training? How do you do sales management? Then you realize, hmm, may not be the people, maybe some things before that. <laughs> and so that tool has been super effective. And I've, I've been like really delighted with how it's happened. Everybody that's gone through it has wound up with real. I had one client, they said they had had three consultants they brought in to do strategy and they'd never succeeded in doing it. And then when they went through this process, it actually was the first time they had an executable plan with a system that actually engaged their entire leadership team to be focused on execution. Um, so it was, it's, it's really cool. The other thing you asked me about was the impact challenge. So it's, this is something I'm super excited about because uh, in addition to my coaching practice, I also am part of a social enterprise called RTG Group, which stands for Receive Through Giving. And there's a bunch of things that happen through that organization. But one of them we developed before COVID, put it on hold as COVID hit. But now with the great resignation and things like that has become much more relevant. So it's called the Social Impact Challenge. And it's... I. I'm really excited about it because I just think it's one of those things can make a big difference in the world and help organizations with their people and their brand all at the same time. So the idea, basically what a lot of businesses are doing is they're choosing a cause to support, right? They, they understand that their people, particularly younger employees, they want to be part of organizations that do some good in the world, that, that care. And so they'll pick a cause, you know, maybe it's a sick kids hospital or, you know, water uh, rights or something like that. The problem is, that if not everybody in your team cares about that cause, 
it doesn't actually achieve the engagement, right? Or if your audience doesn't really care about that as much as you do, then it doesn't achieve that engagement piece. The social impact challenge is we use a platform that has algorithms that allocate points based on how tough a challenge is and what the impact is on it. So we, we call it gamifying kindness. So we do a contest within the organization to see who can get the most points for having positive social impact. The challenges are all rooted or based on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, which they cover pretty much any cause you can think of. So everybody in your team can participate by taking on a challenge about something they care about. And so they go, I'm now part of an organization that not only allows me, but is encouraging me and is rewarding me through this contest to do good in the world. What a great place to be. What it also does is people have to show they did the challenge by uploading a video or a picture or a story. And all those uploads are social media shareable. So all of a sudden, everybody connected to the, to the organization is just seeing their feeds flooded with all this great stuff that people are doing to make the world a better place, which helps the brand, which helps the employment brand, and winds up making a big difference. And then the final piece of it that I, well, two final pieces that I really love about it. One is that the challenges, some of them are like super simple, like leave a thank you note for somebody or ride a bike to work. They're really low cost of entry challenges. I call them gateway goodness that for people who haven't actually, you know, really engaged in activities to make the world a better place, that can be scary. So you can just dip your toe in and then say, oh, that felt good. Maybe I can do another one, right? And so that you're, not, you're not presenting people with some, like you have to give up a weekend to go build a shelter. It can just be, just do a nice thing and then do another nice thing. And then all of a sudden you're sort of building this culture of people that are going, it feels really good to do good things. And the other piece that then does, it provides a lot of data on the back end. So you actually learn that, you know, if you're a national organization, wow, we have, you know, the women between 25 and 35 on the West Coast really care about, you know, environmentalism and, you know, our leader leadership community in New York, they really care about gender equity, you know? And so then that gives you some really good information that you can talk to your people about. So it's like one, one cause that just, or one initiative that has pretty significant impacts across a bunch of different arrays from engagement to act. And it's actual meaningful social impact. Like these are people doing things. So yeah, that's, that's something I'm just, I'm super jacked about. Well, I love it. And I, I want to assure our listeners that we will make sure we have the links for the tools we talked about and your challenge below in the episode description. And this is why I wanted you on the show because you are, you are such a, a well-suited, authentic, heart-centered leader with the work that you're doing in your coaching, but also with this social impact challenge. So happy to share that across the globe for you, my friend. Okay, my last leadership question is, share with us the number one trend that you're seeing globally. And this can be your own observation or even with a client and, and what you can share with our listeners. And what's the solution that you're seeing to that trend let, let's call it a trend or a challenge that leaders are, are navigating and something that you could offer as an offer of hope or a solution. So there's two, I think, uh, I mean, there's a lot more than that, but two biggies. One is just navigating the mental health challenges of their employees. Like it's, it's real. Um, you know, I've seen this with a whole bunch of clients recently. And I, I say with their employees, but also with themselves, Right. Like we're all facing that. And I think you 
as leaders, you have to be aware of your own mental health limitations and ensure you are looking after yourself so that you can look after others. With that, sometimes there are leaders who are super, you know, are very strong and very resilient and they kind of know that they need to be aware of it, but they don't fully understand why other people may be suffering more than they are. Um, and so really developing empathy for the true mental health impacts that people are experiencing from isolation, from fear, from loss, people are grieving, people are feeling afraid, um, and what that does to people's capacity to work and how you can help support them in that. The other one that I said is, is the skill of making decisions in the face of an uncertain future. Now, that's, that's a challenge that leaders have faced throughout time. But right now, because of this sort of the global pandemic and the level of uncertainty around it, it's, it's, I, I've observed people that just are a little more frozen because they don't know how to make decisions when they don't know what's going to happen next um, and how you incorporate the uncertainty. So the, the metaphor I use for people to sort of get them into this, and this is why I do the strategic planning work, is you use poker as a metaphor. People think poker is gambling, but it's actually not. It's a game of skill in which chance is an element. And the skill is in making decisions in the face of uncertainty. And, you know, the game of poker is a great metaphor for that. And business is like that. You're right that you don't know, but you're playing probabilities, right? And so the decision-making is then in this kind of uncertainty, going all in on a particular thing might be riskier than it used to be. And so it's like, what's your risk mitigated approach to achieving objectives? And how do you make forward movement while accommodating the possibility that things may very reasonably go in a different direction. And it's, it's almost like a Knightian um, uncertainty principle that you, it's, you can't really attach a probability to it because you, is a vaccine going to come out or a treatment that's just going to make it go away? Is there going to be a variant that's going to be super serious? We don't know. And there's no way of attaching a probability to it. So you're then doing, you got to do risk mitigated decision-making in the face of uncertainty. And I've seen a lot of people struggling with that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I do that kind of strategic planning and why a 90 day planning cycle is so effective. Like you can do course corrections really quickly in the face of new information. Absolutely. And, and so many, so many great points that you've touched on there. And, and I think the theme is consistent navigation through unprecedented times. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I almost like taking that VUCA term and I, I love the, the VUCA 2.0 that Bob Johansson came with. So instead of volatility, we look at vision, which is what you just kind of eloquently described. And you're a vivid visionary yourself. And what if we, we take the understanding and, and just meet where we are ourselves as leaders and our staff as well? And instead of having it being so complex, try and gather the clarity with what we have in the moment. And then I think the big one is, is the whole level of ambiguity and really transitioning, again, meeting ourselves where we're at with emotional agility. And I think it's such an important trend. I'm glad that you shared on that. It's a common one that often comes up and has come up since we started the podcast in, in May of, of 2020. So it's just nice to hear that you're also seeing some of the trends that some of the other leaders and including myself in the coaching world, it's the forefront of what we're coaching and guiding our leaders through right now. So really meaningful. Thank you for sharing. 
Okay, I'm going to switch to my Fab Four. Oh, this is the fun Fab Four. Uh, four rapid questions. We just want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant, vivid, visionary mind of yours. First question: Tell us something that we don't know about Warren Coglin. Um, <laughs> I love mountain biking. You know, as much as I may sound like I'm in and 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 sort of schlocky, um, tough guy novels. I love it. Hidden talents all around from that question. Second question, who is a leader that you would love to meet? And this person can be alive or they could have passed. And why do you want to meet them? And what would be the dinner conversation? The first one that comes to mind is Nelson Mandela. You know, just a person who has been like the the capacity for love and forgiveness that that man demonstrated is remarkable. And yet at the same time was tough, you know, like after he emerged and he emerged as a leader, he was strong and he, he took strong positions with people yet at the same time was able to just put the past of what was done to him aside and was able to focus on what is, what was before him. I just think he's a remarkable human being to be able to absorb what he absorbed and come out of it with such a loving and and solution focus. This is the third time. So you are the third guest in a hundred and over 160 leaders I've interviewed. He is my wish too, and almost in alignment of what you said. And I think I admire him the most when he returned to that prison and had like a barbecue lunch and engage the football game, but the community that he was able to create with love and heart centeredness amongst all of the people that were incarcerated and giving them back the love of football and not putting the forefront of why they were in prison for whatever reason. You know, there's an element of that, that, I, a lot of people don't appreciate like if if you don't understand trauma, you can't understand like how big a move that is like to be in prison like that is a traumatizing experience. And to go back to a source of trauma with that degree of con- like that is that is remarkable to be able to do because the trauma sits in the body and to be able to release that. Absolutely. To me, he was an amazing global heart centered leader. But to me, he's the epitome of equanimity. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. Isn't that interesting? Another alignment that we have. (laughs) Okay, question number three. Don't think about it. Just tell me what's on the top of your mind. I'm giving you a magic wand and you're granted one wish for the world. What would it be? Eliminate climate change. I'm with you. Okay, so we're going to finish the show with my fourth question. But before I do, I just wanted to say it's been a highlight for me to have a heart-centered leader who's two hours down the road for me and in the ever busy and present Toronto, Ontario. I am so glad that our paths have crossed. So am I. And I'm grateful that you had some time to share. Thank you for sharing your tools, your expertise, and most importantly, giving giving us a little glimpse into your little piece of your heart today. Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. So I would like you to finish this sentence and we'll close out the show. Heart-centered leadership is? The key to a better world. 
You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.